Good day, blokes. I've noticed that you are both very stylish gentlemen. Thank you. Oh, and wanted to know if that guys, if you're just listening to this show, you're, you're missing, missing out. out. <laughs> Clearly. I'm here we, we in should. full Ferrucci. <laughs> James is I'm here. in a peacock <laughs> costume. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the uh, exact transcript of the uh, lift I just got from my mum and my grandma. So we're on a side road going on to Kilburn High Road and two buses with film uh, posters on them go past. The first one is Bullet Train with Brad Pitt featured very prominently on it. And my my grandma goes, oh, that Bullet Train, I heard it's not worth your time. And my mum goes, oh, that Brad Pitt and that Angelina Jolie, she just needs to stop meddling with the divorce. She's really screwed him over. And then it's, um, uh, what is it? Tickets to Paradise with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And they both go, oh, but that George Clooney, (laughs) I do like that George Clooney. Yeah, all that George Clooney, he does, he does. Oh, and Pierce Brosnan, I like Pierce Brosnan. Anything Pierce Brosnan. I do like this classic. Like, oh, we should go and see yeah. that. Oh, not baby. that one. Yeah. yeah, that. I feel like the. Um, but I told my grandma, bullet train is is actually good fun. I think she'd is enjoy your it. Grandma, really, the kind of bullet train audience. Yeah, yeah, she likes a bit of action. Really? Yeah. How yeah, old yeah. is your grandma? Uh, she is in her late seventies. Okay. I don't know the exact year. Good for her. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm. A bit, you know that new Clooney Robert Roberts film, Tickets to Paradise. I feel yeah. like it's a bit random. Sort of come out of nowhere. I'm, I'm worried it it's kind of sort of going to come and go. But I, I feel when I see something like that, I go. I look forward to watching that on streaming. I'm going to see it in cinema. <gasps> really? It's what I think is what I've been craving mm. to see in the cinema for a while. Oh, what a, a good rom com. A good cozy rom com where everyone is beautiful and looked more beautiful in the mm. film. And yes. there's like a. I want like a really. I've not seen it, but I want a really clear sense of this is going to happen in the end, and then it will happen in the end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That comfort of like no, yeah, no, there'll be no, no more surprises. Yeah, because I just feel like I'm living my mm. life where everyone keeps saying, "Well, this is a once in a lifetime <laughs> scenario <laughs> yeah. when we've had like a pandemic, an insurrection on democracy, a reality star being elected president, yeah. of leaving the European." Everyone's like, "Oh, it's a once in a lifetime yeah, cost of living crisis." I quite like to know what happens at the end yes. of my movies. <laughs> once in a year relationship kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I just I. I like the comfort of knowing, yeah, Frodo will throw the ring in the mount, in the volcano and everything will be okay. I like, you know, Julie Roberts and and George Clooney, they do have that spark. They are mm. good at doing sparky stuff. They have like a cheeky wink in their eye. I like it when George Clooney does uh, fun, when he does funny. Yeah. When he, you know, like in Burn After Reading, he's, yeah. he's really he's good in that. But he's not, he's, he's not being the funny guy. He's playing it seriously, but he's playing it for laughs. Comedy really. happens around him. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a comedic character. I, I, I remember in... Hell Caesar, which is a film I was really looking forward to seeing. Mm. You see that like Coen Brothers esque and it like neurotic energy. To yeah, him, but I never really found Hell Caesar that. No, totally. I was really excited for it. I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, oh, all the actors and all the things. That was one of those times when I thought, am I going to have to actually like write a bit of correspondence to the studios to complain about um, uh, it being misleading? Right, which yeah. some people have done recently. There was a case where the, this couple um, brought a, a legal case against. I want some film studio for um, saying that Anna Diarmas was the, like the lead star in in a film to, to rent on Amazon, right? And I think she's she was either cut from the fi- yeah, I think she wasn't even oh, in the final version. What film is that where she got cut? I I can't remember. I, I know she, of this, but like yeah. so they went to watch it, being huge Anna Diarmas fans, and she wasn't in it. And then they like made a complaint saying like, you know, we we paid money, you've advertised this. Interesting. Um, she would have been in the cast list from like before that she right went, went to the cutting room floor. Um, and then, so when I saw Hell Caesar, there's a thing in the trailer where it's like, 
you know, you've got this ensemble of characters. You've got you've got Jonah Hill, you've got Josh Brolin, you've got um, Scarlett Johansson, you've got Tilda Swinton twice as two different characters. Yeah. You've got George Clooney, and you think this is oh, this is like like a thing, uh, a big uh, ensemble piece. And there's a bit in the trailer where Josh Brolin says so and so, so and so, so and so, which is. Uh, and, and the trailer shows Jonah Hill, Scarlett Johansson, and Alden Ehrenreich. And it's like, he says, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, thanks for coming. I need your help. So-and-so has been captured, right? Which is George Clooney's character, right? Okay, yeah. Which, um, to my understanding, was like, oh, I see. He's, this big star's been kidnapped, and he needs to rally like some pe- random people from around the studio to help him get that, get, yeah. get this person back. That does not happen in the film. There is never yeah. a moment where he says, you, you, and you, because those characters never come together. The idea of him rallying a team together to rescue this person doesn't happen. That's not the premise of the film. It's him just going from episode to episode while this separate thing with George Clooney happens. And I got to the end and I was like, why Why even put Jonah Hill on the poster? He's in one scene. One scene. Scarlett Johansson's in like two. I, th- I, f- I felt really... T- Tease. Well, this is an interesting thing about trailers and how much you want to be shown. Sorry, just that film you're referencing, Google says was yesterday. She was cut out of yesterday. Oh, right. Um, but um, there's this interesting idea that we see far too much. And how many times have you and I watched a trailer and we go, well, I now feel like I've seen the entire film. There was one, in- which we'll be talking about later. I had to stop watching it. Um, I feel like I've seen it. Yeah. Um, so people go, oh, stop showing your shots in the trailer. And I think there have been a couple of instances where filmmakers have put shots in the trailer that don't make it into the final mm. film. And it's sort of this, well, are you misleading people because you're showing something that's not going to be in the final product? Or are you giving people a sense of what your film is about through yeah. an artistic trailer, but not actually showing what's in the film? The most famous one I can think of, boringly, is in the original Force Awakens teaser, the shot of Kylo Ren putting out his lightsaber. The yeah. Pfft, yeah. That's not in the Force Awakens. Yes. You just hear it. But also... But for a teaser, that, it didn't matter. That's clearly... Was, that was clearly filmed in the same scene on the yeah. same day. They just chose to edit it differently. Whereas there yeah. are other shots from films. Do you remember, you know, Predators we talked about recently? Yes, yeah. Adrian Brody one. There's a bit in the trailer for that where he gets loads of Predator red dots all over his chest. And uh, you're like, right, yeah. <gasps> never happens in the film. Yeah. Rogue One famously has loads of bits that aren't in the film, but we know that's because they had reshoots and, and, yeah. and redone. So if you watch the Rogue One trailer now, you're like, oh, that never oh, happens. Rogue One, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah loads of shots. Like the bit where the TIE fighter comes up right yeah. in front of you. Know, just, just stuff that... You can't even say, oh, it, it's the scene happens, but it's from a different angle. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Marvel um, lick their thumbs and like erase characters from shots. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Like they got rid of um, like Smart Hulk in a couple of shots of the trailers for Endgame. Yeah. Because they didn't there, want to there ruin are that. Vi- um, video comparisons you can watch yeah. online. So this there's, the weird, uh, there's weird blocking because obviously like any ensemble film has to be really careful with like where you place characters. It's quite mm. obvious when there's a big gap. Yes. And you're like, well, someone is meant to be yeah. there, yeah. standing there. And then there was the. Uh, the Spider-Man one where they were rubbing out the other Spider-Man in the trailer, but you could see like they had kicked something. It's like an invisible ghost had like, ah, kicked the really? lizard. And people were like, that's obviously Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, who has like been in the scene. They've literally been like- I thought it was out. one where they, like in the Brazilian trailer uh, for it. They That was the one. But they, they, and they also left Lizard in. So people were like, uh, oh, right. Lizard. So from Amazing Spider-Man, which uh, means right. Amazing Spider-Man's <laughs> yeah. in it. So um, yeah, worst kept secret ever. But um I've, I think we should talk about something else, James. I think mm-hmm. people have a right to know that okay. um, 
It was your birthday this week. Oh, it was. Happy yeah, birthday. Thank you very much. Um, and it passed and you didn't say anything and I forgot to, forgot what day it was. <laughs> That's all right. I, I, we did do. Well, I, I see you quite a lot. Yes. So it's not like I'm worried that you've uh, forgotten about me. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we communicate quite a lot. Yeah, it was my birthday on Thursday. Did a little thing at my home on Friday. You got me a very nice gift. Which I really appreciated. <laughs> he got welcome. me a Vandalay Industries t-shirt from Seinfeld. It was like uh, selling latex. It's like architecture latex. No, it's, uh, it's, it's an importer-exporter of <laughs> yes. latex goods. Yeah. Importer-exporter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I got that from the NBC store in New York, um, where they're like very well organized, beautifully yeah. air conditioned merchandise of everything. He's like, you nice. want Jimmy Fallon mugs over here? Got it. You want servant Seinfeld merchandise over here? Yeah. Anything for the office over there? Yeah. Did they Brilliant. do like the plain white tee with the Seinfeld? Seinfeld yeah, and I thought you, well. I didn't yeah. want you to think that I could have just gone to H and V and picked that up. My one's more subtle. Yes, it's like a fan will go badly exactly. industries. Not everyone's not, not just going to read the, the Friends logo or the yes. Seinfeld logo and be like, that's the thing. Uh, but yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld mm. when he's trying to convince the the people to keep giving him money yeah. and he runs out of the toilet with his hands it's like badly industries latex oh brilliant yes that was so, so anyway welcome and happy birthday thank you to you james thank you george i have a question to ask you based on some news that i saw i, okay. I was listening to a podcast where they address some news um and you don't have to know the answer to this okay. do you prefer to watch a TV show all at once, Netflix model, here are all the episodes, you watch three a night, two a night, one a night, but it completely in your own time, mm. or do you prefer to watch a TV show once a week where they trickle it out like they used to do in TV? Do you, do you have one that you prefer to do? Very good question. Um, it almost depends on the show. Yeah, I Because so there too. are shows that are constructed with such precision and, and like leaving you wanting more that when it's stretched out every week, that's brilliant. It gives you like this little, little joy. Okay, no, actually I do have an answer. I do, I, I do yeah. think I can, I'd land more than one way. I think I'd actually say I prefer it weekly. Yeah. Because ask me five years ago, I would have said all at once. All at once. And, and I've definitely been series and, and that's great. And, 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 you know, in the production of this show, it's very handy sometimes to, to catch up and, and, and binge all at once. But what I would say is if you have them weekly, you can still do that. You, what I'd often do is I wait a few weeks, yeah. let them build up, and then I can smash through them. And then I can still... So basically, if I want to binge it, I can. Or if I want to be there every week waiting for it to come, I can. I think the reason that the weekly one is better is that I've noticed this, that the, the time between a show, as a show's episodes, when you're not watching the TV, is just as valuable as the time you spent actually watching yeah. it, right? Because the conversation, the water cooler moment at work. Totally. And and if you, you know, I remember when I watched The White Lotus, for example, I remember I finished one episode and I would go away and I'd be thinking about it mm. and I'd be turning it over in my head. You discuss it with friends. And if I then immediately chain smoked and got through the next episode, I wouldn't be thinking about the episode I just watched anymore. I'd be thinking about the next episode I'd just seen, right? So everything that I'd been thinking about from episode three was gone and I'd be thinking about stuff from episode four. But you're denying yourself a really rich... Um, you're denying yourself the, yeah, periods, the, yeah. the opportunity to develop a more richer, deeper relationship with that show because you have literally spent more time with it in your head than if you'd binged it. If, you'd, if you watched all of Stranger Things in uh, two days as opposed to two months or a month, the person who's watched it for a month is probably going to get more out of it because they've spent more time between episodes thinking about it and, and evaluating it. And I, and I think I think that's a richer 
richer experience than simply just watching it for content's sake. Do you agree? So interesting you say that. It sounds like there are rumors that Netflix is going to depart from their have it all at once yeah. model and they are going to start week by week drip feeding. So yeah. I think there is a sense, there's the point you just made about having like time to contemplate what's happened and discuss it. But I also think you are giving yourself 10 weeks for people to talk about your show versus one or two. Exactly. Like there's a lot of hype around these shows that like, like rings of power right now. Like would it have just been a week of talking about it or two weeks of talking about it versus like it's a real back and forth of people like there's new social content, there's new reviews. Yes, because like, they're doing it weekly, sorry. They're doing it yeah. weekly, yeah. Um, right, and I think it's interesting if that's yeah. penduluming the other way from what we would have wanted all at once. Because I think if you were trying to, in the original days of Netflix, if you're trying to build a fan base for Netflix, mm. right? And you're like, well, here's, here's what's great about us. All the episodes once help yourself. Mm. But let's, again, I mentioned Stranger Things. You take a show that has a massive fan base. If you give it to everyone all at once, that entire fan base is watching it on different schedules at different times. Yeah. So then some people are seeing spoilers. Yeah. Some people are way ahead and feel left out when everyone else is still getting to it. Yeah. But if everyone is actually watching it in a synchronized weekly pattern, then it has its own momentum built in. You're right. As you say, there's 10 weeks worth of conversation yeah. there as opposed to, you know, two weeks. Especially when you're leading up to like a big finale and people want to like get together to watch the finale. Yes. It, like that's such an event that people yeah. will do. So I think it's interesting that we've come from, no, no, you get it all at once and it's this new format and Netflix kind of pioneered it. And if it goes back or mm. if they start having certain shows which are drip fed, it just sounds like what they want to do. Also the benefit of, weekly is that you can watch more other shows alongside it yeah as the problem is with binging i'm like i have to like do i have to watch three hours yeah, of this? yeah rule out a week to watch just this one show then, yeah. then another one um yeah i i, I think they just, I, i'm not surprised again much. I, I like that what you can days. do once that 10 week period is over you can just watch it yeah, in yeah, the yeah. binged way like yeah. it's only for the, like the the period that it's coming out that you would have to do that yeah like, for the rest of time thing. that it exists the rest of time, it's it, there to binge yeah yeah, mm. but it's interesting how people are sort of going back to this. Like we used to only watch things once a week because it was there was a schedule of TV and there were mm. only so many hours in the mm. day and you have to have your slot and yeah. then you would have the next week would run. But it's interesting we're just sort of reinventing yeah. this non non like it's just data on the internet. Yeah. There is no schedule, yeah. but it's just thought, it's just like a large human behavior mm. of like, well, no, it's not on TV right now, so you can't watch it. I'd be interested to know what other people think as well. Yeah, what do you, you prefer? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm let us know what you think. Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We've got a couple of um, emails, which we'll go to later, about mm. our response to our chat that we had about... Um, or the streaming services. Streaming services, yeah. one might die, one won't. But mm. yeah, we'll, we'll pick up on that later. Okay, but I just, thought I'd, I, I just thought I'd pick your brain and see if there was one that you actually preferred to do. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it is weekly now. But it, I mean... I did talk about this show more, but then it got rubbed out with that episode that disappeared. Oh, right. but I know I always talk about Better Call Saul. Thank yeah. you. But that was weekly. Yes. And I definitely benefited it better from it. Yeah, like the end than... of an episode of Succession, it always has yes. that like moody rising score yeah. and like a hum and then like the credits just sort of come in. You're mm. like, oh my God, I have so much what? to say and think about this. Sorry, having, you, having just brought up Succession and Better Call Saul in the same breath. Mm. And I'm sorry if I'm boring people by talking about medical source so often but no, um, uh, you know i'm gonna champion a show that i really really think is great the emmys were this week right i don't know if you watched saw the results no so so there was a really interesting results kind of no no major surprises but some good news so white lotus won a couple which is great well, the guy so. you know the guy who plays the the concierge yes. the main, main guy he won yeah uh, uh and um Jennifer Coolidge, you know. Oh, oh God, God. Oh, I'm taking the damn dog, dumbass. <laughs> um, she won. A, she won an Emmy. Um, Michael Keaton won for Dope Sick, which is great. Yeah. So I like, you know, White Lotus is an original. Zendaya show. get a bunch. Zendaya it. won yeah. again for Euphoria. Totally deserved. 
White Lotus is an original show. Great to see it recognized. Dope Sick is about something really important. And it was a brilliant show. Great to have that done. And then Succession won best show, right? Yeah. But I have this thing. And it's not just because I wanted something small, I better call Salt to win. But mm-hmm. it's that Succession, I like Succession. You yeah. like Succession. Everyone likes Succession. Succession is like the biggest show on TV and like the most, like one of the most popular shows yeah. around, right? One of the most critically acclaimed. It, it almost doesn't need to win an Emmy. It's right? like past the point of succession, needing recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Succession would have continued on its course undeterred if it had lost, if it had not won an Emmy, right, the other night. Yeah. Whereas something like a show like Better Call Saul, which has a very small audience, has a fantastic work in yeah. it, which is loved by a lot of people. Everyone who, who actually engaged with that show really likes it. It's just that it hasn't broken out. This, if that had won an Emmy, that would have made a lot of difference. That would have yeah. recognized it. But it's just like, you gave it to the popular kid again. You gave it to the kid who always gets A stars. This is, this is an interesting point about the, the purpose of an awards show. Is mm. an awards show meant to tell you what you already know is good? Like, are we all meant to say, well, that is the best show? Or mm. is it meant to highlight something that deserves an award, but right. isn't necessarily the best? Like, that's a different sure. conversation. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. But if Succession is the best, not that we can measure it in, yeah, a, in sure. a numerative way, it's completely subjective. Should you should you go well? I think everyone knows about Succession, so therefore it doesn't deserve the award. Let's give it to like a show that's really great but underappreciated, yeah. like Hannibal was. That show is right. meant to be yes. amazing. Yeah, you said, really yeah. just couldn't build an audience. Had a very small loyal audience. Mm. What what where where do you sit with? I that? don't know. I just feel like you you know to use the classroom analogy. If you've got a classroom of kids and there's a kid who's already won prizes, yeah, that, isn't yeah. it good to give it to the slightly more overlooked child the one who might have something else to say because otherwise it feels very cynical that it's just like we know lots of people love succession so if we come out and say succession is great that obviously it's voted for and it's slightly yeah. democratic then everyone will go oh i love the emmys because they voted for succession succession won fantastic that's great i don't know it's a pet peeve but yeah it's like it's like should ronaldo and messi not win the ballon d'or every year right but like there are millions of other amazing players that aren't as well known as Ronaldo and Messi, but you cannot take away from what Ronaldo and Messi do yes, every yeah. single year, less so now. But like, uh, to use that analogy, like what they do is leagues above everyone else, even though they're the two most famous people on the planet, arguably. Mm. I don't know, I just thought, yeah. so yeah, okay. Anyway, that, that's it. But anyway, TV. TV. So James, mm. it's an exciting time for film because we are about to head into the awards season, okay? Yes. I mean, technically, it's kind of already begun. It's like six months long, isn't it? Six months long, and it usually kicks off with Venice Film Festival through, uh, I think, Toronto, London. You know, you've got Cannes all the way back in May, where the sort of the initial contenders are kind of selected. You start to get a little buzz going yeah, on, don't you? Yeah, get a little you? buzz. And then Venice, everyone comes forward and basically says, we think this tranche of films could work. Mm-hmm. And then they get slowly whittled down and whittled down and whittled down until you get to the Oscars ultimately in, in, at the end of awards season yep. in about February time, right? And obviously through that, BAFTAs, Golden Globes, etc. There are a lot of contenders out this year, and I think a lot of really good and really exciting contenders. And I think it'd be really interesting to sit down and look at the films that are coming up in the next few months, great idea. We'll be going to the cinema to see, and what we could be talking about in a few months' time as potential Oscar winners. And I feel like all of a sudden there are just loads of films. I feel yeah. like was there a little bit of a dry spell in the summer? I could be making that know. up, but I just all of a sudden feel like trailer, trailer, no, film come that, out, and they snuck up on me. I think sometimes just you just, up. I think sometimes you just get a good year. Um, you just yeah. get a good, you get a good crop. Yes. As it were, like a, like a crop cycle. Yeah, like Maybe that. it could be the... A good harvest. I think artistically, culturally, there are a lot of interesting things coming out across film, music, design, whatever, that I knew this would happen. Like you have COVID, you have a lot of self-reflection, you have a lot of things, and then out, you have this explosion of creativity out of that when, mm. that, when, when, that, when that finishes. So James, I'm going to run through 
about 10 films that are coming up in the next few months that we should talk about. There are a lot of articles about this online with different contenders and different ones. There's some on Entertainment Weekly, some on IndieWire. Predominantly, this episode will be taken from an article by Joe Media uh, by a guy called Rory Cashin, just for references. Okay. Okay. So... So one of the first contenders to talk about, and a trailer for, was it for it was released this week, was Damien Chazelle's new film, Babylon. Yes. Right? So Damien Chazelle, obviously, La La Land, Whiplash. This film's got Brad Pitt um, and uh, Margot Robbie in it, sort of set in the golden age of Hollywood. And the trailer doesn't show you much no. other than a very, very frenetic, um, energetic sort of highly visual, but not a lot of substance on the plot level. Um, music it stems from music. Yeah, stuff. explosion of, of sound and vision, right? If I had all the money, I'd just yeah. want everyone to party all the time. Yeah, you have these scenes of these like incredibly hedonistic parties, uh, Margot Robbie taking a lot of cocaine. Although it opens to... with a sniff of the Paramount stars. Yes, like, yeah. a, like a line of cocaine. Although, which I was trying to marry up because the film looks like it's set in the 50s. But yeah. forgive me if I'm being naive, but I thought cocaine didn't like hit the market until like the 70s. I thought that was like... I'd have to ask. I'd have to ask, <laughs> have have to ask Pablo Escobar. Um, anyway. Sorry, just on that. Have you seen the Mickey Flanagan sketch about cocaine? No. Where he's like, you know, coke in the 80s. Oh, only celebrities could have it. It was expensive. It was for the glamorous, the famous, the rich. But in the 90s, everyone was at it. The plumber was at it. Everyone down the pub was at it. And I remember in the 90s, I used to be at the pub and they'd walk up to me. They'd go, all right, Mick, you want a little cheeky Tuesday? A little cheeky Tuesday line? And I used to go, that's all right, Nan. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very, very good, good one. So, um, yeah, um, apparently this is set in the, the era of Hollywood when uh, people when the movies were transitioning from silent movies to talkies, right? That's mm. all the sort of gist I've been given here. Look, visually, it looks great. We know Damien Chazelle can do, like, energy. We know he can do music. And it's interesting that of all of his projects now, like, this obviously lines up with Whiplash and La La Land and even uh, the Eddie, that TV show he did. But, like, First Man is almost like the outlier. Mm. Think about it, First Man, which is quite cold, quite um, uh, emotional, kind of quite sterile film. It doesn't sit in the sort of Ch Chazelle canon that seems to be appearing, right? Um, you saw the trailer. What did you think? I think it looks very cool. I'm ex I showed too much in the trailer. I, 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 I had to stop watching it. With a lot it. of these, I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to watch this for the podcast, but yeah. I'm doing it anyway. I think what I like about Damien Chazelle films is that he always seems to be able to make a really great dramatic spectacle out of something otherwise very calm and tame. Like, mm. like a drum performance. Like he mm. shows you the stakes of that or like he'll take something very simple like walking on the moon, but like you just, the silence is what brings mm. it completely alive and then it lasts. Land's like playing the piano mm. in a bar all of a sudden like the weight of everything that's come before that is mm. always so beautifully crafted to that moment right yeah and i think i'm always like, excited to see the ways in which he does that which he brings tension to a singular point in the film mm. I, I there's only so much to say it's a trailer that looks very fun it looks like there's it's got a damien chazelle musical yeah. flair to it i'm looking forward but to it but yeah like i said though it doesn't doesn't give a lot away in terms of story i so don't know what it's I, about my, it's... my hesitancy when i ever see things like that is like mm, maybe too much style over substance who knows but i got still characters think... got personalities colors styles yeah. It's definitely something to see. I mean, just David Chazelle, his career, it's not even 10 years old yet. And I still yeah. I still want to see what he makes because I still think he's got so much promise. So mm. definitely looking forward he, to that. I, I like that he's mixed it up a fair bit. Mm. Yeah. Every time he's doing something different. Well, except like it's all slightly musical, musical with the exception bit, yeah. of First Man. Yeah. But you know, but La La Land wasn't a, was a musical and Whiplash was a music film that yes, really sure. wasn't a musical. But yeah. 
Next up is a the new Martin McDonough film, which is The Banshees of Inishirin. Apologies if I've got that well done. Uh, <laughs> incorrect. So Martin McDonough, of course, who did In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, yes. and Three Billboards. Uh, this reunites the In Bruges cast of Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. It yep. also stars Barry Keoghan. Um, uh, and it's I, I, I'd seen this film talked about and they've they released a trailer for it and I've watched it yeah. and it looks like we're very much back in Martin McDonough territory yes. of um, black comedy. Um, very funny, almost a bit um, uh, farcical setup yeah. infused with a lot of danger. Whereas I thought that Three Billboards was kind of heading more into just sort of straight drama territory. Yeah. This has the Martin McDonough kind of lick all over it. So it's hard to describe what it's about, but from what I, from the trailer, it's this really intriguing premise where it's set in Ireland in, I want to say the 1800s. Yeah. And in a tiny village and a very small community and Brendan Gleeson's character just stops talking to Colin Farrell's character. He just basically decides, he just doesn't want to have nothing to do with him, but for no reason, no one knows why. And Colin Farrell is so bothered by this and increasingly bothered by this. So he says, oh, why won't you talk to me? Why won't you do this? And Brendan Gleeson says, I don't like you. I don't want you to speak to me. Just leave me alone. And Colin Farrell becomes increasingly frazzled. And then Brendan Gleeson gets to the point of like invoking violence where he says, if you speak to me one more time, I'm going to cut off one of my fingers. Yeah. And there's just this strange, like, oh my God, there's danger in the air. Yeah. There's blood in the air. But this is also really funny. And it reminded me of In Bruges. I really like In Bruges mm. a lot. And, you know, we... Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell together, they have those wonderful faces that could just show like pain and comedy and tragedy all together at the same time. So I, I'm really excited. What did you think? I, I really like Brendan Gleeson's really good at playing grumpy. No, and I yeah. think what Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson do well is they're both like visually very different actors and presences in a film mm. but it works quite well to have them share mm. share the screen so i'm looking forward to it yeah look, it looks strange like i saw that live it's like if you talk i'll cut my finger off <laughs> well, i'm just intrigued yeah what, what's yeah. gonna happen and yeah I'm in. um and like, and like Barry well. Kogan says, well, no, you know, if he, he could cut his finger off and still play the fiddle, he might be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, I also think Colin Farrell has one of those faces where, you know, Colin Farrell can be very handsome and very dashing yeah. and be a leading man, but he can also like dress down and lose himself in a role. Like in like 13 Lives, he's just like this ordinary, you know, IT yeah. technician scuba diver. Um, very excited about that. Next film is Empire of Light. I've seen a lot of people talking about this. This is Sam Mendes' new film, right? Yes. So I really feel like Sam Mendes is kind of at the height of his powers right now. Okay. He, he's had sort of critical darling films behind him, Revolutionary Road, American Beauty, but he's also um, navigated big blockbusters, you know, Skyfall, Spectre, 1917. Yeah. I feel like he's now in a position where he can really make the film that he wants to make. And it's one of the first of several films in this awards camp that are about cinema itself, right? Yeah. So Empire of Light has got Olivia Coleman and uh, an actor called Michael Ward, who uh, won a BAFTA, I think, for Best Newcomer. He was in some of the Steve McQueen small acts films. It's also got Colin Firth and Toby Jones. And, you know, it's about, I, I want to say it's set in the 1970s yeah. in, I want to say, like Hastings or Essex, or some sort of British coastal town. Yeah. And it's an era of, you know, slightly drab interiors, skinheads on the street, um, like palpable racism, but also the magic of cinema, this old mm -hmm. dusty cinema. And, and, you know, Toby Jones is in it as the projectionist. And the the whole trailer, if you see it, is whipped up with uh, a, like a very cinematic score, shot by Roger Deakins. Yeah. Um, oh no, it's it's a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Guess, well, that's, yeah. that's what makes it really interesting. Trent Reznor, Roger Deakins, you know, you've got and big hitters like Olivia Coleman. This is the, like a very top level mm -hmm. film. 
Um, I think it looks intriguing. Would no? Yeah, absolutely. I think it looks really good. Again, not much to know about what it's about apart from these little glimmers to his yeah. how film is and the magic is taking 24 frames to change yes. to Ludia. And it reminds me similar of the film you'll go on to talk about about Spielberg, yes. yeah. which is all talk about the magic yeah. of, of cinema. Um, yeah, I'm in. Like, big he- you got this big award. Like, what was it? Is it Toby Jones? Yeah. Yeah, Toby Jones, Olivia Coleman, big heavy hitters. Yeah. I'm in. But I sometimes, my only thing is that, like, it looks great mm-hmm. and it sounds great and it's going to be very polished. And I, I'm sure I'll agree with the idea of the film. I'm yet to see a Sam Mendes film that I really, really think, wow, this guy's got a, like a proper, a, a, a personal thing for me. I don't yeah. think his films are bad, but I'm yet to see something where I personally really, really respond to, to Sam Mendes' film. I didn't, I, you know, I liked 1917. I American liked Beauty, Skyfall. I've really only seen that once. Okay. And uh, I think I need to go back and watch that again. I've not seen Revolutionary Road, but I'm yet to see something that I go, that is like, like top top stuff. I think American Beauty. I wonder how well it holds up now mm. with some of the themes that it deals with. Mm. That's the only thing I've only just Older thought man, about. Younger woman. Yeah, but I, it is. It is. I think the point of that is that it is wrong. Yeah, they do. Um, I think it's addressed. so more that like the style of it because I think remember when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this is such an artist. Mm. I saw it quite young. I was like, this is such an artistic film. It's so beautiful. All mm. these like weird large than life sequences. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of Revolutionary Road, but I, I, yeah, I do wonder if American Beauty holds up. Mm. That's my only thought. But yeah, no, I to, uh, 1917, I, I enjoyed, but I, yeah. I wasn't like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing, which I think some people left the cinema thinking. Yes, yeah. It was like the, the next big thing. Yeah. Skyfall, great, Spectre, a mess. Yeah, agree. Well, it looks very charming and I would still look forward to seeing it. Um, brilliant. Similar to that, uh, is The Fablemans, which you just touched upon, right? So it's another yes. film about the magic of cinema. And this is Steven Spielberg's latest film, semi-autobiographical about his childhood and growing up in his household where, if anyone knows anything about Spielberg's childhood, his father was very scientific and very academic and smart and his mother was very creative and very artistic and you have this sort of real dichotomy in their household. Um, the father in this is played by Paul Dano. Love Paul Dano. Great. Uh, mother played by Michelle Williams. Love Michelle Williams. Paul Dano does mostly the same thing, but it's always a little great mm. twist on what he does. What, Do you know he's what I mean? one of those actors that can stay within his acting style and bring the roles to him. Yeah. Without you thinking he's doing the same thing again, but like, like that's it, it works Dana. each time. Yeah, it's like yeah. that is Paul Dano, but I'm really enjoying mm. this version of Paul Dano yeah. every single time. So Michelle you know, Williams also great. It's set in what I want to say is like the, um, you know, the 1950s and oh, Seth, Seth, Seth Rogen's also in it and Judd Hirsch. And it's about, uh, it's not, he's not called Steven Spielberg, you know, of course it's called like yeah. a, it's a, a substitute growing up. Now this film, a bit like Empire of Light, the trailer is all about the magic of cinema and at oh, home it's got the flicker of light. It's very and, soft and dewy eyed and, and glowy. James, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I watched the trailer for the film and I started to well up. I, I found it <laughs> I like, it really I, I thought it was really like something. I don't know if you had similar reactions. There, there's this great moment where he's like, he's like looking down the lenses of a camera for the first time and mm. he's playing with like the way in which light is being projected and he's like cu- cupping it in his hands. Yeah. And there's so many amazing in- mm. uh, imagery for what that could entail. This moment where he shoots a toy train yeah. and starts to cut sequences together of it crashing and buckling and he shows it to his mum. Mm. And you, you are reminded that seeing film for the first time is really like yeah. magic and seeing real people in color on a screen yeah it's something we really take for granted that is magic and that trailer really made you think yeah. about that feeling for the first time yes. and what it would be like and that's why i think it sort of looks really special and it could it could be really good yeah and it, it makes you realize also so our, our love of cinema is so much tied to memory and and, and so the environment much. in which we watch something and like who you even, were with and even why. they say you know the way the brain understands film is a bit like how the brain understands memory it just sort of functions in the same space yeah um 
I um, it's got that like glow. I know I haven't seen West Side Story, but West Side Story also had this like soft mist glow to yeah. everyone, and it just looks super larger than life and um, idyllic. Yeah. And well, here's the thing: like, I think I've mentioned this before. Throughout Spielberg's career, the role of the child and the relationship between the child and the adult and the child's perception of the world Completely. has run through all of his films. Yeah. And that childlike wonder, that almost, yeah. it's almost like known as Spiel, Spielbergian wonder is there throughout mm-hmm. all of his work. For him to now like turn back and look directly into the source, it's like like directly into the core of the universe where this has all come and from. he's telling his story. And he's telling his story. I, his I, that, I think that's what struck me. I, remember, I thought, wow, this is so powerful because yeah. he's been able to... Spielberg eyes, his own childhood, yeah. which is like, it's like doubling down. It's like, you know, antimatter. It just, yeah. this could be really, really <laughs> double negative. It, it's, especially, yeah, it, it's especially potent. So um, I, I was really intrigued by how moved I was by the trailer. Also, that's, called, that's called the Fablemans. Also, Seth Rogen appearing in what I assume is a largely non-comedic role. Yes. It'll be a serious role. And I feel like he's having a slight career shift. I think mm. it's been happening for a while, yeah. but he is definitely transitioning away. I think it'd be really cynical. You could say Seth Rogen was like the uh, the stoner, the college stoner comedy guy. Yeah. And I think I don't think that's true, but like if you were to label him, and I think he's really just um, mm. shifting into completely different roles. Well, anyone who knows, like Seth Rogen has been producing. Oh, yeah. He's worked operating mostly as a producer for the past five years. So like yeah. he's clearly very intelligent and, and, and has a keen like brain for this kind of thing. And mm. yeah, I, lo- I love it when they break out and do other things I'm, I'm not surprised i look forward to seeing that i you know the same way i love jonah hill when he went and did you know i'm just thinking we haven't seen a non-comedic jonah hill performance in a while he directed a film called mid 90s which is okay I, I like mid 90s yeah. yeah but i mean I, jonah hill in the wolf of wall street is fantastic a comedic Amazing. performance i know yes. but, but yeah. in the context of a bigger scorsese vehicle yeah he works so brilliantly mm. in that film. That was interesting to talk. Have you heard him talk about the interviews about how he, how nervous he was and how he felt like he was really cocking it up? No. And there are a few days where he's filming and he 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 feels like he's overacting and he's overtrying. And it, he kept going because school says he kept being like, "Let's do it again. Let's do it again." And then he stopped, sent everyone out of the set, and he just sat with Jonah Hill on a chair, didn't say anything to him, just read the newspaper. And then after like 10, 15 minutes, Jonah Hill was just like, oh my God, like this is terrible. Like Martin Scorsese like, sent me in the room. He's going to like tell me I'm fired. It's over. And Martin Scorsese just after 10 minutes just turned to him and said, ready to go again? Huh. And that was all Jonah Hill needed was to just like take the nervous energy, just like to have him sit in the room huh. with Scorsese and just like bring his heart rate down a oh, bit. Oh, that's amazing. And then he did a take after that. And it was, and then Scorsese was like, that's it. Perfect. Do so you think that he was so buzzed about i mean the rumors of and it's like a lot i think it's also his it, that, that film is so it's such big energy wow and i think you always have to acknowledge that but contain it you know and what he really oh, so much scorsese is such a class act i know that he didn't to, have, to have the not the you know the, the foresight to, to like know that nervous. that's the right thing to do and that to give to give an, an to give like six notes in a break would actually overwhelm your cast member and instead just to like sit with them yeah Bring the heart rate down, chill out. But yeah, brilliant. That's interesting. What a cl- what a classy guy. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. On to the next film. It's a film called She Said, which mm-hmm. is it's got Kerry Mulligan and Zoe Kazan, and is about the New York Times journalist who broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Hi, I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. Right. Yes. Piano tune <laughs> theme into the trailer. <laughs> um, I uh, I think this film looks really interesting. I love Kerry Mulligan. Uh, Same. And Zoe Kazan has been in some interesting projects. And um, it's directed by Maria Schrader, who's an actress, but also did um, Unorthodox, that series that was on Netflix yes. in, in 2020. Um, if anyone watches the trailer, you get a good sense that this is in firmly in 
what I like to call like editorial whistleblower thriller territory. Yes. Solid, uh, cold lit. True um, story. Um, people walking through, um, pay, you know, uh, newspaper offices being like, hi, yeah, as you say, I'd like to speak to you Scruffy about looking this. ordinary journalist with a coffee cup. Yeah, people yeah. R- running around with laptops. Yeah. It's, um, it, I mean, spotlight, obviously- the, dark water it, 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 It's very much um, spotlight and all the president's men. Um, but but you mentioned Dark Waters there. They're, they're, that whole sort of subgenre, I think there's, there's films that really work there. Um, dark Waters and The Report as well. Um, those films always have a, a, a trouble um, of when you've got a massively weighty, important subject matter, you either play it straight or you can, if you're, if it's not a great film, tip over into like grandstanding, right? Yeah. Into being like, you know, this is why this is important. You know, in Spotlight, to be fair, apart from that one Mark Ruffalo scene, it's pretty even, ha- you know, level-headed. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it pretty, and, and the same thing with Dark Waters, which you haven't seen, have you? No. Which I, I really, really love. I think that's a really good film. And again, was overlooked because people think this is a very um, square approach to a film. But what people didn't realize is that film, it takes a lot of effort and precision yeah. to make a film as um, calculated and direct when it's about an important subject like Dark Waters was. So with She Said, um, yeah, people, anyone who can see the trailer is you've, you've got this very compelling story, which it is, it is an interesting story and I, and I think it will read well cinematically. Yeah. It's obviously on, on like a metatextual level, it's like, okay, you've got the film industry making a film about the very story that, you know, really changed things in Hollywood five years ago. Um, but I thought I thought it came across as pretty thrilling. That, that's the main thing with all these words. I on, on that whole like genre of, of sort of, you know, journalists investigating, mm. in, in this, the documentary, which is not drama, it's documentary Citizen Four with mm. Edward Snowden, which is when he like, no, we forget that we just assume this happens now, but it's the, the documentary where he tells journalists about the fact that governments take your data yes. and, and use that to track you. And it's just like this really, it, it's so uh, visually uninteresting, but like seeing this journalist write down and process the implications of what Edward Snowden is telling mm. him in this really boring hotel room mm. with a guy filming it. And this, uh, is it a an FT news reporter? I can't remember. But it's just this really unassuming English guy like listening and be like, mm. hang on. This is what, and yeah. it's actually the, the 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 power of that just being a really ordinary conversation yeah. makes the message so much more yes. powerful. And you're like, oh, like you don't you don't dramatize this. It's just yeah. a really simple breakdown of information, yeah. which is shocking. These films succeed best when they let the the power of the story speak for itself. Yes, it doesn't do the Netflix documentary thing, where it's like, is this thing recording? Are yeah. we are. It's just like a camera pointing between two people yeah. in a hotel room, and you're like, oh my god, this. I is I think nuts. that's Laura. Poitras, po- Poitras might have made Citizen Four. She's she's made she made good loads of you know, pieces of work like that. So that's called She Said. I think that looks very interesting. And there's just one more comment about this like genre of whistleblower thrillers. I find they are like the best films as if you don't know what to watch and you want something like yeah. to, to delve into. Official Secrets is another one. Something really engaging. But if you, especially if you want to watch a film with your parents and you're like, yeah. okay, it's based on a true story. I can't it's they did that. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Everyone gets a little your pat on the back at the end about, wow, that, that yeah. really is awful. We've all learned something. We solve a little problem at the end. Yeah. Yeah, we can't do that anymore. Um, great. I'm not buying Teflon anymore. I'm throwing them out. <laughs> that's what we did yeah. in, in my flat, yeah. in my house. Yeah. yeah. Are you, uh, it's a good, good film, Dark so Waters. Back, so the next film is called Tar, although it's got an accent over the A. Maybe tar. it's Tar. This is, uh, this looks very different to the previous films we've been talking about. So this is a film with Kate Blanchett in, also got Mark Strong in it. And it's about, it's a fictional story, but the, the character whose, whose surname is Tar, I can't remember her first name, Lydia, Lydia Tar in the film, in the world of the film, is one of the most successful contemporary composers, classical mm-hmm. composers, okay? And um, 
it's if you see the trailer, it's this very kind of more artistic, expressionistic um, delve into her mind as a musical genius. You've got uh, images of art, um, uh, static images. You uh, her toys like thinking in slow motion. It's all about time and rhythm and the relationship between sort of like a metaphysical relationship between you and music. And when you stand on a stage, evocative imagery in there. Yeah, very you know, um, uh, yeah, evocative and provocative um, piece of work. Uh, it's directed by a guy called Todd Field who hasn't made a film in 16 years. He last made a film called Little Children um, with Kate, uh, sorry, Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson, adapted from a book, which is okay. meant to be quite good. But see, he's back on the scene. Um, I think Tar is one of those films that I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't get nominated for Best Picture, but it, I, I think Kate Blanchett will be nominated yeah. for Best Actress. She's amazing. She is great. She, she can do no wrong. Every time she's in something, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. But yeah. did you see the trailer for this one? I did see this trailer. What do you think? Yeah, looks cool. It looks like it, right, it's, it's giving me Black Swan vibes. There's yeah. lots of like um, <clears throat> evocative like flashes of like an old man in mm. black and white, but with red lips, like kissing mm. the camera. Yeah, and then like her like dancing and, and, and moving, and it's all just too much. And then flashing musical and yeah. ballet, like pirouetting. The kind of film that. that could go either way. It could be very annoying. Do you know what? It, I, this I, the I, thing. I, I can't say. Oh, this looks like a masterpiece. Yeah. It could be incredible. But... I watched the trailer for it, and I was like, of all the films that are in this contender list, I guess that's the one I'm going to have to see at Curzon. Or yeah. everybody, it's, got, yeah. it's got sort of Curzon Everyman Picture House written all over it. That's not one you go with, see at the local. With a glass audience. of Riesling on the little table. Yeah. Next to you. <laughs> yeah. Mm, interesting. And a four pound bag of popcorn. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, like eight the pound at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one the, kernel their each. Their business model is like, let's keep the same price of expensive popcorn, but give you like a quarter of the amount <laughs> yeah. you get out of multiplex. And you'll be like, mm, tastes better because I'm supporting independent yeah. cinema. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mixed, mixed feelings, but it looks cool. Kate Blanchett could do no wrong. Okay. The next film on the list, which we've talked about before, we didn't have to dwell on it, is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Which is, is I think is breaking records as we speak. It's still one of the, it's now not just in like the biggest of the years, it's like in the biggest of all time yeah. category for films, like, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. for a film well deserved. Sequel to 30, a film from 37 years ago, um, has no sort of um, connected universe to it. No. It's, it's, it is the film that everyone is lumping on as being like the savior of cinema. My, my last resounding comment on Top Gun Maverick is just, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's how you yeah. do not just like just a fun movie, yeah, a, a, a blockbuster a, movie, you, you blockbuster movie. You bring back an old IP and yeah. make it fresh for modern audience. Like that's how you do it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, and and as you said at the time as well, it is so much better than it needs to be. Yeah, and that has any right, has to, any be? right to be. <laughs> yeah. it, re it really just. It really is. I think I think that'll be nominated for best picture in the same way they always give one. You know, they nominated Black Panther for it as well. Yeah. Like, I don't think it'll win at all, but it'd be like in recognition of the fact that that's a popular film that has done very well and is also good. Yeah. Um, I don't think, well, I mean, you never know. We might see something crazy like um, Joseph Kaminsky being, um, or Kaczynski's rather, being nominated for Best Director in the same way like George Miller was nominated for Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. which I always thought was really interesting when you see like a big heavy spectacle. Yes. No, I see. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Lady Gaga wins another Oscar for writing a song for that. You know, she's like, best song. Yeah, yeah best I song. I can't yeah. tell you what song it is. Okay, um, this is a this is a, another different one as well. This is the it's the Triangle of Sadness, which uh, won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival way back in May, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a new film by Ruben Ostlund, who's this Swedish filmmaker who made Force Majeure and The Square. He makes films, uh, Ostlund, that are like satirical and um, critique wealth and stuffiness mm. and um, pretentiousness, and often put people in positions of power in very 
precarious and difficult positions. Like, I've not seen Force Majeure, but I really, really want That's to. exactly what this film looks like. Yeah, yeah. so, so um, I, I have seen The Square, which I, I, I did struggle to, to get along with, but that was a whole critique about the art world and um, um, the exhibition world. But yeah, this one, The Triangle of Sadness, is set on a luxury yacht, mm. um, and it's got... A cast and characters from all, all across the world, um, from uh, you know, our English speaking English speaking characters, Harris Dickinson, who seems to be this new actor that's come around. He's been in The King's Man, he's in See How They Run, and now yeah. he's in this film. He's just sort of part of it. Um, you have these very sort of uh, over the top rich characters on this luxury yacht. The captain is played by Woody Harrelson, but then of course, what happens is there's you know strange things happen. There's a storm, there's this and that. And then everything it just becomes this, sort of, everything goes wrong, this carnival, people throw up, there's things getting damaged. This, it looks this, like there's like mass food poisoning, yeah. like the threat of the ship going yeah. down. Like It looks funny. It looks really funny. It looks really funny, it looks very mad. Um, this great moment when this this woman goes to Woody Harrelson, who play, looks like he plays the captain of the <laughs> ship. She goes, will you be um, cleaning the sails today? <laughs> and he has to very delicately explain to her that actually they're on a motorized boat yeah, yeah. there are no sails, but she just fails to understand that that concept. And he yeah. just Goes, yeah. Of course, we can. Yeah. We can. We can clean the cells for you today. We can get that yeah. done. But just like you, just say yes at all costs. Like yeah. the customer is literally always right, regardless of what they're saying. Um, I like the look of this because because it's so grotesque. Mm. I do like something that kind of shakes the tree a little bit. And, yeah. and um, you know, I don't know if this will actually land in the Oscar camp. It might not be palatable enough. Yeah. But I like something that is dares to make people a bit uncomfortable and it's yeah. like you know it's not violent in any way it's just like look how like hideous and and, and horrible this whole thing is so like, kind of similarly how the white lotus was very good at yes. showing you like both sides of the barn doors between like the fine dining and then the kitchen and the concierge yeah. and that, that made so many people you just made you really held up a mirror to this really artificial level of like high luxury service yeah. that, that like you've, you've encountered so many times in your life and it's just strange if you've been on both sides um just thinking about the square by the way so that's the, the film we made before. That has Terry Notary in it, who we didn't yes. talk about when we saw Nope, right? Because Terry yes. Notary played uh, Gordy in mm -hmm. Nope, but he actually does all the motion capture for like any sort of creature, particularly apes and monsters. So, yes. you know, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes trilogy and he, King Kong. He's, he's a movement specialist. So he, he he's good at doing apes and like studies animals that need to mm. be like motion captured by a human, but he, he will create structures for people. He will create like um, playbooks for how like an elf is meant to walk mm. compared to a dwarf or an orc. Cause he done, he's done all the Hobbit mm. Lord of the Rings films. And he's like immediately amazing at showing you that like a dwarf, uh, is a creature of the ground, so their center of gravity is low, and they they make large footprint mm. when they walk. And he teaches all of these actors like this is how a dwarf walks, whereas an elf mm. is light and they don't weigh as much as a human and they glide along. And he's like, uh, he's got the most Fantastic. amazing transformational yeah. body you've ever seen. And then like he'll st he's done loads of ape work and uh, he did pickups of King Kong. It's wow. just if you've ever seen behind the scenes of Terry Notary yeah. working, you've never seen anyone else yeah. look like that. And he's like off, he's like off camera to the sides and he's like guys you gotta get down you gotta get down you gotta move and he's like really energetic yeah. guy and he's like um he's brilliant yeah but they he's played like orc nine in lord of the rings yeah. you'll never know it's him they they use him really well in the square and that there's this he he's meant to be this artist or he he himself is meant to be the like the art piece that's yeah. meant to be shown a bit of performance theater and then to like to like really you know rustle feathers he kind of not breaks in, but he comes into this massive gala dinner they're having where right. there's all these rich people. And anyone who's seen the square, there's the poster is actually Terry Notary in the gala dinner on the table. And he sort right, of comes okay. in with his, you know, don't really call them stirrups or whatever. He's got these kind of um, things that make him look like an ape that he'd be using. Yeah. Right? And he's in full ape mode. He's in just bare chest. He's just dressed as a human, yeah. but he's in like... <laughs> 
And it's amazing seeing him do it. Yeah, and yeah. There's, but there's this 10 minute scene where he's going around the garden making people feel very uncomfortable. Mm. And there's this sort of tension in the room of like, oh, do I consume this as art? And it's really interesting or something. Uh, yeah. But then like, he's getting very physical with people and he's frightening people. And, there's, and, and it's, a, it's brilliant to watch like how long people are prepared to put up with something if they think it's art. And yeah. he's like, jumping on the table. It's brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so that film was called The Triangle of Sadness. That's good. <laughs> okay, the next film... And probably, I have to say, the one I'm looking forward to the most, yeah. the most intrigued by, it's Darren Aronofsky's new film, right? It's called The Whale. Mm-hmm. It stars Brendan Fraser, uh, Samantha Morton, who's also in She Said, um, and Sadie Sink from Stranger Things, right? And it's about a uh, teacher who is morbidly obese, who is trying to reconnect with his daughter, played by Sadie Sink, right? That's sort of just so far. There's been no trailer release. It's just there's just this screenshot of Brendan Fraser, incredibly overweight, yeah. uh, which is it's not prosthetic. He actually put on the weight for the film, um, and it received a six minute standing ovation at Venice. And there are some wonderful videos of Brendan Fraser overcome with emotion yeah. and, and, and crying, like, and the whole all like theater yeah. just completely like turned towards it, yeah. clapping. And um, I think this is really the one to watch because first of all. Everyone loves a comeback story. Yeah, you know, you and I, we have uh, feelings of affection for Brendan Fraser because when we were growing up, he was in the Mummy. Right? We loved the Mummy, and yeah. he was George of the Jungle, he right? He was the new Indiana Jones for our yeah. generation in that period. I'd and, say. He, and he is really good in the Mummy film. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's really good. He's dashing and uh, funny, heroic, but and funny yes. as well. Great comic timing. Um, and then um, I don't want to talk about this too much because I don't have all the facts right in front of me, but people can read about it. But this thing happened with Brendan Fraser where he basically came out in the mid noughties and um, uh, explained that he, he made this accusation against the former head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that he, was, uh, that he had sexually assaulted Brendan Fraser, uh, at, I think at an award ceremony. Right. And nothing was ever done about it, but there, it, it's sort of widely sort of discussed like this open secret that as a result Brendan Fraser was kind of blacklisted there was kind of this backlash he against did him yeah. and that's why he said that he, his career definitely suffered from him coming out with this allegation which is incredibly sad yeah um, but you know it's funny we were just talking about you know she said in the context of the abuse in Hollywood and it's like now you look back at that kind of story like oh you know but it's yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so so he's kind of been away for a while. And even you know three four years ago, I remember saying to people, like, wow, where's, Where? Brendan, yeah, "Where's Brendan Fraser yeah. gone?" And slowly but surely, he's been coming back. Um, you know, obviously he's older now. He was in the Affair season two, which is this TV show. Yes, it came it in was, there. Yeah. He he's been having these minor bit parts here, and there's been really getting momentum. But this really seems to be his moment. And I I genuinely think that we will be talking in a few months time as, as the, he will be the front runner to win the Oscar. Mm. Not only because we like a comeback, but people also like a physical transformation. I love it. It's got all the hallmarks of an Oscar winner. He also seems to be incredibly humble and incredibly yes. mild-mannered, which I, which I really like. There's no ego there. Um, what, did you have something to say? What, yeah. Are you done? No, I, got some, I can keep going. Sorry. Uh, that's all right. I was going to say, to me, Darren Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky is the kind of director that could either receive a six minute standing ovation at a film festival or like booing and yes. people walking out. Yeah. I don't think there's an in between. Well, it's encouraging yeah. to see that there's a six minute standing ovation and I'd be, I'm definitely interested to see it. Well, but that's another reason. No, either but way. That's another reason why I'm interested to see it. So you've got the whole Brendan Fraser element. Um, that's great. 
Darren Aronofsky is an interesting director. Yeah. I really like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. It's one of those films that people say they really struggle to watch and they find really hard hitting, but I, I like enjoy watching it. It's really, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's zips, good. It zips along. Um, <laughs> it's, hard, it's a challenging watch. Yeah, it's yeah. a challenging watch. Um, he made Black Swan, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, I haven't seen Noah. Um, do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, which I haven't either because it yeah. just seemed like such an old sidestep. Um, yeah, it was a bit sort of off-brand. He also R- made The Ross Fountain Brando. in like 2005, which I think got looked, I think no, was not seen. a success, but is now like a cult film. It was with Hugh Jackman and, and Rachel Weisz. It's all about, you know, uh, yeah, the tree of, tree of life. Um, <clears throat> and then he made, oh, The Wrestler as well. That, the, that's a know, really that's good film. Really and, I, and I feel like The Whale is kind of in wrestler territory. You know, The Wrestler was all about Mickey Rourke's comeback as yeah. well. I feel like this has fallen in that camp. So very interesting director. Oh, and he made Mother, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say missing, missing Mother, Mother. Excavation mark. Um, Look, Darren Aronofsky always makes the film he wants to make. I think that's the yeah. nicest way of saying it, okay? So, um, anyone who's seen Mother yeah. knows why we can't even go into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, just it, its own thing. It's, you watch and you kind of go, okay. <laughs> okay, if you say so, Darren, I mean, whatever. I don't really know why you, why you needed to say all that, but it's sure. <laughs> um, the, so, the, the Brendan Fraser, Darren Aronofsky, and also Sadie Sink. I, for me, Sadie Sink has always been the most interesting actress, actor, in Stranger Things. I, I think mm-hmm. she's a really charismatic presence and I, I'm, I'm interested and look forward to seeing her career grow outside of Stranger Things. Um, there's a great video where they're being interviewed and the interviewer says to the whole cast of The Whale, right. they say, what movie do you think of when you think of, when you hear the name Brendan Fraser, right? And there's kind of silence. And one of the cast members says, oh, The Mummy, always. And then somebody other mentions another Brendan Fraser film. And Sadie Sink says, you know, Sadie Sink's like 20, right? Mm. Or maybe maybe even 19. She's like, I only know Brendan Fraser as this character, as this oh, man. Oh, you love to hear and, that. And, and he smiles and he like gives her a hug. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this film goes. That's cute. Yeah. That's an actor's response. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's someone who's only ever going to be known for Stranger Things response. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, last film is The Woman King with Viola Davis, right? And John Boyega and Lashana Lynch. So uh, this is set in 18th century Africa and it's about, um, you know, relationship between um, Europeans invading and people who are already there and the fight and the sort of conflict that arises between them. I mean, I admit, admit, when I watched the trailer, I was surprised to see it in this list because it's edited and shot like a mass, you know, blockbuster kind of... uh, vibe looks very spectacular i love viola Davis. anyway she might be i, I wouldn't be surprised again if it's one of those films that doesn't get nominated but she'll be in for a uh, performance yeah, I see what you mean, this yeah. looks like incredibly physical grueling um part and actually lashana lynch who i've mentioned before i really liked in the in in the bomb film she's she's not really in this trailer much but every bit she's in i was like you're very you're very good very actually good. You, I, yeah. I really want to see more of you did the you, rising star i think did you have any thoughts on the, the woman um, king i i it's hard because i don't want to prejudge but you know when you just said it's cut like an action blockbuster yeah. i felt like the tone was very mismatched for mm. the content that it's trying to portray or the yes. story it's trying to portray. Mm. I, it's really hard because it's just a trailer and it could just be trying to get a really broad audience. Mm. But I'm almost thinking like, wow, this is like a really interesting untold story mm. about something I don't think I know very much about, but could like be really eye-opening. Mm. And then the, the, uh, it was cut like a, like a Marvel movie yeah. a bit. It was. And that's why I was like, I'm not sure what that is. I could just be prejudging and I'm very happy to sort of see it. But that, that tone mismatch yeah. I think has made me a bit cautious, but otherwise it looks really cool. Great actors involved. 
There are. That's just uh, some of the films. That's another thing. I think um, when I whenever I'm seeing John Boyega recently, he always seems to be able to play someone like well beyond his years, even though he isn't playing older characters. He always seems to be able to like capture mm. a, a wiser and mm. older energy yes. in his acting. And people always say he's like Denzel Washington, but kind of like how Denzel Washington's always mm. been able to do that when he was younger. Do you know what? I, one of my, I really liked John Boyega in Detroit. Did you oh, see he's fantastic he's in Really Detroit. good in Detroit. A really sort of unshowy role. So good. All about eyes and being... There's a film which... I've just sent to you. There's a film which he is in. I think, is it called Breaking? Mm. Where he he's breaking, he's plays like an ordinary guy who lost all his money. He's breaking yeah. into a bank. I don't know if it's very good, but John Boyega... Yes, I read the synopsis. See it. I mean, the thing on the, the thing on the poster says... This generation's Dog Day Afternoon. I don't know if you've ever seen Dog Day Afternoon, but then I read the premise, right, and like okay. that's basically the premise of Dog Day Afternoon. Go, Al Pacino, John Cazale walk into yeah. a bank and hold it up. Um, but that's based on a true story. Anyway, like yeah. So there, those are just some of the, like the, the the main contenders. There are just just to name check a couple more that we haven't yeah. really talked about. Obviously, Avatar: The Way of Water is coming out. Yeah, it's, I think it's undoubtedly going to be recognised at least in the production post production categories. Yeah. You've got Amsterdam, which is this film with Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and various other famous people, which is David O. Russell. Now, David O. Russell was like riding a high on, on like the Oscars like 10 years ago. You know, yeah. um, The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle. Yeah. Um, Amsterdam looks like one of those films, again, could go either way. It's, it's a David O. Russell. There's wigs, there's personalities, yeah. there's accents, there's prosthetics. It's like, it's, it's, he's got his own brand of slightly over design. Yeah. But I still, I still looks really good. Yeah. Like the, the caliber of actors you got. John, yeah, John David Washington, Margaret Robbie. You Rubin, and I are real, a real suckers for a good cast list, aren't we? I mean, like, as yeah, to, I think we'd always exciting. go, to, okay, if they're in it, then we'll, then we'll watch it. He's got like, he always has this uh, big actors acting big. Yeah. You've got a very, you know, like yeah. Christian Bale's in it and, and he's going to be doing a lot yeah. and he's going to be, and, 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 and sometimes he's got glass really eye in this. It's all about him yeah, glass and eye. like this sort of bruised face. It's sort of set in Europe just after the First World War and there's some sort of like trio doing sort of cons. You know, it's, it's sort of ragtag. It's like American Hustle, but 100 years ago, yeah. whatever. Um, there's also a film called Armageddon Time with Anthony Hopkins, Jeremy Strong, and Anne Hathaway, which is directed by James Gray, who did Ad Astra, yeah. which actually looks very grounded, very personal, almost like in a licorice pizza kind of way, yeah. about two friends in the early 80s, America, uh, growing up on different sides of the tracks. There is um, Blonde, which is the Anna Diarmas, mm. Marilyn Monroe film, which- Didn't that get a lot of great reviews? At, has that been reviewed yeah. by making that up? No, I think that has had some good reviews. That's yeah. coming out on Netflix in like November. That's so here's the thing. I, I think I've said this to you before. When I first heard about Blonde, I had the same thing as I thought about Elvis, which was like, okay, here's one of the most famous like icons of pop culture. What new are you gonna? What what, mm. what is it you're gonna do with this story? This when icon, had, like the we've had like the Elton John movie, we've had the Queen movie, yeah, exactly. Like, but also like Marilyn Monroe has had like so many different treatments. So you've yeah. had, um, you know, My Week with Marilyn, but they do say that this is very much a fictional interpretation of like a real part of her life. Yeah. and so it's directed by Andrew Dominic, who made like Killing Them Softly, um, yes. and I think also. He might have done The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Really long film title, but quite, yes. quite interesting film. I don't know if you saw that. With Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck? No. Anyway, I digress. Um, they also say it's very much in the vein of like, it is to real life what Spencer was to the real life of Diana. Fine, yeah. Um, which I think makes you go immediately cold on it. And it really intrigues me. I'm not, I'm not against it. I just, I didn't get on with Spencer. Yeah. Like the, the, the blonde trailer looks very cool. Yeah. Like the, the the flashing burning light bulbs and her looking at yeah. her own reflection. the deep black and white. This, this yeah. yeah, like this almost a studio uh, uh, spotlit 
sense for the whole film looks really intriguing and i think it could be really beautiful but we'll see yeah okay um i mentioned elvis i think there's a good chance i'd love for austin butler to be nominated for best actor um i there's probably a couple of songs in there that mark ronson's, mark ronson's been involved in that might be nominated yeah. for an oscar that's yeah. just what he does i've seen some amazing videos which are side by side of austin butler in the film performing yes. a song and then the exact performance he's doing and it's like do you know what I've realized? Yeah. Frame. Sorry to interrupt you there. Sorry. What I've really realized with Elvis is that I think it, it has it has found its audience. It had its release. And at yeah. first I was like, I don't know if people are going to go for this, but I've had loads of things online, keep getting talking about Elvis and going through it. It's like, it's clearly actually finding people and it's get, yeah. get, get gathering an audience. Um, I think the other one is uh, possibly everything, everything, everywhere, all at once, which might get, yeah. get nominated. If we talked about a few months Outlier ago. Outlier chance because it came out like months ago. It's not going to be as fresh. But yeah. um, indie film, big I don't budget. I think they would, they would have been out. going for the awards. No, but I think they originally. might get recognized in a way that, that that film has done incredibly well. Yes, lots of people talking about it. Yes, it has a big budget, but like, it's got an absurd concept by directors that aren't really known. Yeah. Um, it hasn't really got anyone, apart from Michelle Yeoh, it's not really got any recognizable stars no. in it. And yet, um, it's really connected to the people and people have really eaten it up. It's a non-studio studio film in a way. Yes. Those are just some of the many films out there at the moment. Exciting time. It looks like a good uh, year. I, I say out Having there at the moment. Having seen none of them. Sorry, I, say, I just said those are some of the films that are out there at the moment. Those are some of the films out in running for the Oscars. The Oscars. Uh, coming up. Let us know which ones you're excited for. James, if you had to pick one of those, what is the one you're most Ooh, excited to see? I think I think the whale, mm. just because of the the buzz that's preceding it. I think the is it the the Fab the, what's the Spielberg Fablemans. One? The Fablemans. Yeah. I about to say the Fabians. Uh, the Fablemans. I agree. Just because Spielberg doing Spielberg sounds yeah. like a good idea yeah. on paper. But like without having seen any of these films apart from the older ones. It looks like a good year. Yeah, I, it does look <laughs> like a good year. Awful, really it looks like a good year. Sometimes you get to it and you're like, what even is even, what's even nominated this yeah. year? I'm not even, oh, well, yeah, we've, that, you know, I've talked about that. We did. We've had those years where films just seem to come out purely to be um, nominated for an Oscar and then they disappear yeah. again. But this year, you've got a lot of returning talent. A lot of return, you've got yes. Damien Giselle, Martin McDonough, um, David uh, Sam, Sam Mendes, Steven Spielberg, David O. Russell, Baz Luhrmann, all coming in. It's a great time. That's to, a great selection. Yeah. We could be in for a really exciting like, awards season. In the lead up, if you're seeing one film from one of those directors every two, three weeks, it's a good time to be alive. Absolutely. Good time to to absolutely. Okay. And stay tuned for all those hot takes, reviews. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right we, here no, to cover it all. We, yeah. will, we will be trying oh, to yeah. uh, watch them all. Guys, let us know if you, which one of those you're most interested to see. Or if there's something we missed out that you yeah. think we've overlooked, it, please um, get us, just send it our way. Send us a trailer. We'd love to have a look at it. And James, where do they send it to? Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Brilliant. So I was, I had to wake up really early last week. It was like a 4 a.m. wake up to catch a flight. And you know, I'm like one eye open, going through security. Yeah. And I'm just sitting on the plane, waiting to take off. And I get an email from our listeners yeah. and it just puts a smile on my face. I know. Isn't it's it the great? best. It's always the best. You and I, like, when, before we, you know, when we prep this episode, we sort of have it all quantify the, the emails and see yes. what, how many we got to read out to work it out for timing. And this week we were like, oh my God, we've got so many. We can't answer them all. In we one can't week. answer them all this week. And, we, and we're having to strategize it. And then we're like, that's such a wonderful thing. Guys, we are like, we, I know we say this every week, but like, we, we really appreciate it. It really and, means so much. We to love us. the emails. And I think, 
in, in, in one world, I'd love to have like an hour of the show doing yeah. emails, but also I just think we want to have our main content yes. of the show, which makes the title and, and a bit of waffle. And then we want to do some emails, but I think it's good to sort of yeah. have it somewhat, you know, less than half an hour's worth of emails because otherwise but it's just too much. We do read them and, uh, we always and do. your voice is heard. And I'll so. try and respond to you if we're not going to get it that week. But um, thank you so much. Always remember that you can write us an email by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com just like Harriet did. Harriet writes into the show and she says, Dear James and George, I hope this email finds you well. Lovely email. I was wondering Great. what your thoughts are about how national theatre performances translate to the cinema screen. I've seen a couple of national theatre screenings, namely Jodie Comer in Prima Facie. Facie? Isn't it Prima Facie? Prima Facie, thank you. Uh, Hamlet and Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch. I thought all performances were brilliant and loved how theatre is becoming more accessible, especially in cost, through cinema screenings. However, in all performances, I wondered if however, in all performances, I wondered if I was missing anything through certain camera shots. A focus in Hamlet on Benedict Cumberbatch meant that bigger stage moments were slightly lost. Do you have any thoughts on national theatre screenings? Have either of you seen any? Are there any national theatre performances that you think people should see? I look forward to the podcast every week and you often join me when in the gym. Thank hey. you, Harriet. Um, if you're listening to us in the gym right now, you go for it. Yeah, you can on. do it. Do that squad. Um, great question. Really good question. Really good. Um, my, in, my initial reaction is to say, well, well, you know, cinema showing live theatre is is great. Anything Amazing. that gets people going to the cinema is a good thing, um, and anything that gets people engaged in theatre as well via the cinema is a good thing. Um, I have seen some national theatre lives. I haven't seen that many. I think uh, off the top of my head, like Amadeus was one of them. Um, I think that the thing is about when you have shots and you break away from more close ups and you think you're missing a wider part of the um, stage is that. The, in filming theatre, you do need to sort of use cinematic language a little bit. Otherwise, if you were just to show the, a, a, a static wide shot of the entire play, you'd get bored and it would feel very, very flat. Yeah, it, You need to translate it into film, as it were. You need to break it with close-ups or whatever. And yes, you might be losing something with that, admittedly, but you also might be gaining something as yeah. well. There is a new yeah, meaning. than you ever would. Exactly. Mine. There is a new meaning created with those those decisions. Um, I think it's a it's a smart observation um, that you've pointed out, Harry. But I think I, th I think on the whole, that anything that gets people like engaged in it is is a good thing. I would really like to see Prima Facie, and yes. I've heard Jodie Comer is amazing in it, and Jody I've Kobe. seen it shown on my local view. And it cut. It's even though it's quite old, it comes up quite a lot, yeah. and I'm like, oh, maybe I should just just see it because I think that the theatre is incredible but it's just it's famously just been so inaccessible you need yeah. to spend a lot of money on a ticket for a set period of time and then you can never experience that incredible performance ever again yes. unless they rerun it yeah. but like you'll never see it with that actor again probably and i just think that's such a shame that we live in this era where like of course seeing it live is is an incredible thing yeah. so is seeing a football match but it doesn't mean i don't also want to watch the football match yeah. on tv it's a different experience yeah, of course like, i would like to experience it um i i do feel that um my 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 hit rate with good theatre is way yeah. less than my hit rate yeah. with uh, with good films, but I think that you should always make those performances more accessible to people. I agree. Like, why not? Also, another thing, um, people might not be known to this because you know we talked about Amazon's Amazon Prime's user experience is famously yeah. uh, terrible. By the way, they re revamped it, it. and it's still UI. just as bad. It's still not great. I yeah. can't believe they they've spent money on a, a <laughs> yeah. revamping the UX. It's, it's still, still terrible. The worst one. But hidden in their 
you know, labyrinthine carousel, mm. there are actually loads of national theatre performances that you can watch, oh, including good. the Frankenstein, Danny Boar's Frankenstein. Oh, nice. From 2009, I want to say, with, with which Harry with mentions. Or like to, to buy No, included with Prime. Oh, that's cool. Because like, I was just bored just trying to get to the bottom of this carousel and see what was there. <laughs> and it was there, and I haven't seen that. It's the one with, you know, Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee yeah, Miller, they switched yeah. it. And I think they say the best one is Johnny Lee Miller is the creature and Cumberbatch is, as Frankenstein. Okay, you can watch right. both. But- it's there if you want to watch it, people. People just it's just not advertised. It, it is part wow. of the character. A whole selection of performances. Oh wow, so, that's great. Yeah, go seek those out. Uh, this next one is from Christopher. Hey boys, but like Bois, spelt B-O-I-S. Hey boys. Hey boys. Uh, pretty recent listener, but I'm digging everything you've put out so far. Thanks. I'm looking for some advice, slash wanted to vent a bit. Game of Thrones is right. one of the most important television series of my life. I basically grew up watching it every week for almost a decade and read the books about the same time. So you could say it's a big part of my life. Sure. So this new show I've been preparing for it mentally and I'm so excited. Yes. My partner, who I introduced Game of Thrones to, wants to watch along with me. However, they is going on a work trip for two weeks and will be gone <laughs> for three Sundays the night it airs in the US. They want me to wait for them. It is almost unbearable. What should I do, boys? Wait in agony and risk spoilers? Watch it anyway? Watch and risk and ask for, watch, watch, watch and ask for, for forgiveness later? Keep it to myself? Cheers, Christopher. P.S. I'm a big movie podcast listener. What are your favorites? Well, this is now, uh, we are four, three weeks into House of the Dragon, but four episodes in because they've done two in one week. So I assume you've either, yeah. <laughs> you've either caved. Um, I, I would say, what would you say, George? Between, I think that's something you need to work out with your, your other half because yeah. really, um, I don't want to, that could cause quite an argument. I think best to wait because the experience of watching Watch it, it with someone, with someone going, Ooh. is more valuable than being first. Yay, got in there, saw the episode. Just try and avoid spoilers and watch it together and you will have a more meaningful time. I think opinion. so too. I don't think there is anything like that crazy right now to be spoiled that it's going to no. ruin your experience if you heard I would it. just say if they could be around to watch the finale, like the week yes. it airs. Sync the finale, prioritize yes. the finale, first few episodes, whatever, yeah. even though they're great. This next one is from Sander. Hello, lads. Greetings from Oslo, Norway. Hey, Found, Oslo. Yeah. Found you guys on TikTok earlier this year and I've been binging everything. Wednesdays are now my favorite day of the week. Yay. Now for the question. Have you ever seen the trailer for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? If you haven't, yes. I'll leave it here. And he sent a YouTube link. What are your thoughts on Winnie the Pooh entering the public domain? Yeah. What other versions of the beloved bear do you think we'll see in the future? As right. mentioned, love your work and keep going. Yeah. Sandra. S several people sent this to me the day this I came out. Right? Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yeah. Sounds right. like so Winnie the Pooh, because it's a, a the A.A. Milne Winnie the Pooh, yeah. the original character was written so long ago, over 70 years ago, yeah. it is now passed into public domain. That's how the law no, works. That's yeah. how the law works, right? That doesn't, that, the cartoon of Winnie the Pooh is still owned by Disney, obviously, that mm -hmm. is Disney's copyright, but the character of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Tigger and Christopher Robin is not. Yeah. So, it means anyone can make a Winnie the Pooh film if they want, which is, is what has happened. There is this film that's been made, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is where Christopher Robin, grown up, goes back to the forest and they're not there. And Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are so want revenge for being abandoned. And they like, they, they, like, they, they like attack um, them at night in a house. Right? It's, it's a horror film, basically, right? Yeah. Now, your opinion, is, what do you think about the fact that, oh, this film? And, look, the thing is, if anyone's watched the trailer for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, it looks rubbish. <laughs> it doesn't look rubbish because it's necessarily a bad idea. It looks, looks rubbish because it looks like it was made for about three quid, right? It looks like it was made after school 
um, <laughs> you know, after, you know, on for my couple of GCSE students. Look, and I'm I'm sorry if uh, if I'm offending people who made that film. I know it takes a lot of work to make a film, yeah. but you know, come on. I watched it and I was like, this film isn't asking you to be taken seriously. It's called Blood and Honey. It looks like it's made very cheaply. They barely show Winnie the Pooh in the actual trailer. Um, but how do I feel that characters are now in the public domain like that? Um, I guess it. I'll take, take it on a case by case. I guess it just shows just because you can make something doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you, you should. should. <laughs> it's like when um, when uh, White Christmas by Bing Crosby got put in the public domain and then loads of artists covered it without having to pay yeah. the Bing Crosby Foundation for yeah. making it. It just doesn't mean that those were good yeah. White Christmas covers. No. They're just there to, to exist. Um, this next one is from Elliot who writes into the show and says, Hi guys, I'm a fairly new listener and completely hooked. I love how excited and passionate you are about film. Thank often you. making me want to go back and revisit a classic you've discussed or add it to the watch list. I'm hugely intrigued by shame after hearing James talk about it. Yes, go check yeah. it out. Uh, my first question isn't really related to movies, but I'm hoping you can help. I'm a complete rookie when it comes to cameras, still using the iPhone myself. What would you recommend as a good starting camera? It's good starting camera something you can understand relatively easily can experiment with and create nice shots slash slash footage with i've been hugely impressed by both of your photography skills since following you both on instagram oh, any advice you. would be greatly appreciated so i'll address this before the film question that's a really really hard question elliot basically because um you haven't given me a budget and what's happened to the <laughs> well genuinely because what's happened to the the camera market is that the smartphone has swallowed up the entry level consumer uh. cameras and all that's left is what we call prosumer and professional cameras which are very expensive and um, the chances are that any camera that isn't going to cost you more than a thousand pounds to buy that's before you bought the lens uh, chances are your smartphone can take a better picture that's easier for you to use perhaps um, my camera didn't cost more than a grand no but I, I I would say that if you if if you're someone who wants to just pick up a camera, I don't necessarily think you're going to be shooting manually, mm. which is a big difference between people who are just picking up a camera to take it. If you can learn to shoot manually, and you know yes. what that means, by all means, jump in. You can try and buy a camera for like six seven hundred pounds, but you are going to have to buy a lens with that to factor into the cost. Cameras I look at are the Canon EOS RP, Sony A7. I wouldn't recommend a point and shoot because your iPhone's just as good. But as always, invest in a better lens than a camera first. That's all, that's all I can say. It's a really hard question to ask so james james and i both like taking photos We're yeah, both yeah. In photography james has been into it longer than i have yes yeah and about three years ago i wanted to buy a camera yeah. i was in the exact same position and you were very helpful in giving me lots of advice yeah and i ended up buying a canon eos like 200d, 200D. which is around like the 700 at the time was around about the 750 yeah. mark including the stock lens you get given with it yeah right? okay and I didn't know how to shoot manual. I didn't know how to shoot those things, but I bought it and launched that, that. I knew that I wanted to do that. Yeah. And I therefore used buying the camera and then as an opportunity to train up and, and meet that at that level. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, my advice to um, this emailer would be. It's kind of think if you're if you're looking to actually get a proper DSLR, then you're going to have to learn how to shoot a DSLR. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy one. It means that if you buy it, learn how to use it. If you're just as you've said to me before, if you just shoot on auto, you'll never learn. Wasting your time, you'll yeah. never learn. Wasting your money. And like now, I can shoot a manual, and I just intu I in intuitively know, you know, ISO ex ex uh, exposure and all that stuff. So my first camera that I bought was a Canon 80D, which is like an intermediate level camera that can do great auto stuff for someone who just wants to pick it up. But it had some more features that I could grow into. Yeah. So even though I spent That's a bit more money, I grew into it. Even though I spent a bit more money on the camera, 
I it was ready to take me into manual shooting and it had amazing video and like as I kept growing and learning and investing in more equipment better lenses that camera for the most part was ready for me to do that yeah. that I spent uh, I think 850 900 pounds on that camera before the lens so like it's an expensive investment but I did then go on to like make that my career and I yeah. eventually earned money from that camera which was so great so my, my relationship with spending money on camera equipment is very different when yeah. you like make money from it so there's also the loads of great resources now to buy secondhand camera equipment yes uh, secondhand lenses buy a lens secondhand M mdp i think is one of the most big websites yeah there, ebay i bought secondhand yeah, lenses of ebay um yeah uh next time give a budget and i can get a sense of where you're at because if you're happy to spend a thousand pounds on a camera i've got loads of great recommendations yeah. for you but like not other people who aren't making money from camera equipment are and then uh, now for the film question have you ever seen the korean horror movie the wailing i've never experienced a movie <laughs> like it the horror yeah. gets under your skin and leaves you feeling so uncomfortable from start to finish yeah i couldn't take my eyes off it would highly recommend as we get close to halloween keep up the great work guys uh elliot gills and he's uh put his um i think his instagram which is imo reviews okay um I uh, <laughs> I haven't seen The Whaley, but the reason I chuckled when you mentioned it is because I have a friend who would not shut up I've about The Whaley. A lot for about The Whaley. Ages. He was like, yeah. oh, The Whaley. The <laughs> Whaley is so. So this is how he talks. He's like, it's so good. Have you seen it yet? Oh, better than Train to Busan. It's so good. Um, <laughs> now it's like in your mind, this is annoying. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I know it's like. It's like two and a half hours long. So I never good. sat down to do it. But you know what? I am actually looking for me and my flatmate. We usually watch horror films together. And yeah. This this very evening, I'm thinking of what we can watch. The Whaley might be it. If it's that unsettling, you haven't seen it. It's, right? on, it's been on my list for a long time. I've had yeah. it recommended to me many times. Okay. The Whaling. Thanks for thanks for bringing it to the top, our attention again. We will be talking. We got a couple of emails. Either we haven't talked about them yet, or we have in the past about horror films. Yeah. Obviously, it's approaching Halloween. I'm pretty sure James will do a, some of our favorite scary. Yeah, we can do some films scary when we when we get near Halloween. Okay. Good day, blokes. I've noticed that you are both very stylish gentlemen. Thank you. Oh, and wanted you. to know if that, guys, if you're just listening to this show, you're, you're missing, missing out. out. <laughs> Clearly. I'm here we, in we full Ferrucci. <laughs> James is I'm here. in a peacock <laughs> costume. <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys, we film it for a reason. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know if there have been any films or TV shows that have had an impact on your personal style, i.e. Ryan Gosling made me wear so many V-necks in 2013 because <laughs> of Only God Forgives. Keep up the sensational work, Nick. Very good question. Great question. I thought Different about that question. because that's not what are some very... Sorry. All right. <laughs> James, please. Yeah. And that's not what are very stylish films. That's what films have influenced your, your style. style. So when I first read that, I was like, oh, stylish films. Talented Mr. Ripley, Phantom Thread. But mm. then I was like, well, what has influenced my style? And it's hard. But I thought about something very specific. Call Me By Your Name, yes. Army Hammer, Yes, I've realized subconsciously has affected the way I dress <laughs> in the summer, which is now I wear... Big, baggy... Pirate shirts. Not No, not pirate shirts, James. I wear big, slightly oversized, very colourful, secondhand shirts mm. um, that were probably like dad shirts in the 90s, mm. you know, or like... Um, yeah, you'd wear, yeah, like they're very sort of um, slightly faded. And wearing those big, baggy, over some shorts, it's kind of got the nice billowy, summery, army hammer and call me by your name vibe. Yeah, I think that's totally... That's a great style thing to work from you mentioned mine Ta Jude Lauren talented Mr. Ripley just, you think he's yours yeah I mean, I mean <laughs> look at you. how could look you at not you. the uh he has these beautiful white pleated trousers with yeah. these loafers and then this like linen slightly tighter fitting polo shirt yeah and I'm just like god damn he looks he looks good in that I have more um less style icon but like 
movement and philosophy things, which I think have really influenced me. Oh, like, I like that. Do you know what I mean? Like the way in which someone carries themselves. Yes. Oh, and and it could be in really unassuming films, like the way in which George Clooney does the airport in Up in the Air. Right. For some reason, every time I'm in the airport, I'm, I'm thinking about that monologue he mm. gives about traveling and making it seamless and mm. don't even do it. I know what to do. And I'm an expert because George Clooney is just yes. so like cool and charming. I've always thought about these, these mantras and these like those characters that seem to really know what they're doing in life mm. and those things stuck with me i remember when i was a kid really thinking about the way that jim carrey moved on screen yeah and, and incorporating that into the way that i was in the playground Completely. and like trying to be as energetic and sort of quick and fast and yeah. um i love that's a re- i'm gonna have to think about that, that what you've just said that's a really interesting about like individual movements or, or ideas or ways of speaking that have yeah. been influenced. When you go and see a film as a kid and you've been really swept up in it and like you adopt the personality of the yeah. main character on the way home and you just think, yeah, like that's me now. Yeah. I, I've been so influenced by this cool, like older version of how I could see myself and I've just like adopted that. Um, it's, it's, it's more than just fashion in a way. Like fashion obviously really heavily influenced yeah. it and you know. You're not probably going to like this, but I did think about this with it that you I think you've got a touch of Kramer in Seinfeld about the way you dress. Right. A little bit. Well, Kramer's, a lot of Kramer's clothes now are, not so I'm so trendy, but a lot of his clothes have become into yeah, fashion. The kind like of, trousers um, and, uh, I guess you call them Cuban shirts, don't you? The ones that are like shortly searched with the Cuban, white collars. And he wears some, he wears a lot of cardigans. I wear a cardigan. And also um, he wears like pleated, almost like suit trousers. Yes. Um, and you know, you've got like those dog suit trousers. I mean, obviously on this show, no one's ever going to see our bottom half. But yeah, he's wearing them yeah, now. I'm wearing a Kramer outfit You right are, now. And you know, you wear like, you know, you're, you're, like brogues, whatever. Yeah. You kind of I like, like, a, a I like a nice trouser with some smart shoes and like a casual top. But yeah. whereas I think I'm much more of a blend of Jerry and George. Yes, yeah. I see. More I see color. elements of Jerry and you. Whereas like, like I don't iron my shirts a lot, and Kramer's always never. He's always untucked. Yeah, linen, like yeah. an unironed shirt. I'm, linen. I'm, I'm like Jerry. I'm wearing a but, like colorful button yes. now. Ironed, and you've worn the large white trainers. Exactly. Yes. But I think I've also got the George Costanza. Like maybe uh, the I literally bought a shirt in New York that I was like, this is a George Costanza shirt. <laughs> yeah, I have to have this. Anyway, moving on. This one is from Harvey. Hi, guys. I'm currently sitting on a train to work listening to the latest and my first Pop Kitchen episode. Harvey, welcome. Welcome to the show. I came across a clip on TikTok. And I saw you talking about Hacksaw Ridge and knew I had to listen. I am in complete agreement. I could not stop laughing at how bad that film was when I first saw it. But everyone I've spoken to since loved it. I just don't get it, question mark, exclamation mark. For me, it was the whole boot camp section of Mm. the film. I love Vince Vaughn. I completely forgot Vince Vaughn was in it. (laughs) I love Vince Vaughn, but that was not the role for him. It was all just a bit ridiculous. Great true story, but badly done in my opinion. Anyways, just wanted to thank you for confirming I'm not the weird one for liking it. The pod episode was great, and I will absolutely be listening to past and future episodes from now on. Cheers, Harvey. How cathartic is that to hear? So, look, Harvey, thank you so much for writing that in. Validating us. If people here are fans of Hacksaw Ridge, we do not have a problem with that. We are not for one minute trying to be negative or, or... crap on your opinion of liking Hexel Ridge. Our, if you we just, try not to put negativity yeah, out there. We were just, James and I happen to both agree, feel the same way about this film. It and we, and we were wondering if we were out of touch or if anyone we else like, felt the same way. that we shared a, right. a funny opinion about So it. we posted that clip to TikTok and sure enough, everyone was like, what are you talking about? It's a great film. Really great film. Love amazingly it. acted, beautifully right. shot. And I know, after about half an hour of posting, I thought, oh, what, what have we done this for? Yeah. Oh, all the comments we're going to get are negative. And then I was and like, then, oh, we shouldn't just put negative stuff out yeah. there if we can't Exactly. And then. Harvey, that email makes it completely worthwhile because I'm so glad that there was someone out there who saw that and was like, no, actually, Thank you. I agree. It is a 
bad. It's a great story. Great told story. Really badly. It, it, it's like Mel Gibson said. Why don't I tell this story with the most amount of war movie cliches possible? Yeah. And all the hallmark movie. If I make cliches. it really cheesy, think you, people think it's really emotionally profound. Yeah. No. The, I remember the boot camp sequence. It was like, yeah, it's just so cliched. So um, uh, imitating other things. It's it's not. You know when you've Harvey, got things like full metal jacket. Yeah, Harvey. It's like twenty years out of time. The yeah. writing in that. Anyways, anyway, thank anyway. you, Harvey, for thank that you. email. Well, there you go. We'll end on that. Thank you very much for writing into this week's episode. We will do our best. We do have more, and yes. we're going to get through them. We just don't want to make a really long podcast. But if you wanted to send in an email, you can do. And please do. Uh, send it into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com, and we'll do our best to read it out on the show. Thank you, guys. So George, last week you ended on a, a little trivia thing that you yes. sent me and I thought it was very interesting. And I thought I would end the show as well on a different piece of trivia. Okay. Um, we, we remember Nope, a film we saw yes. a few weeks ago. And it was shot on location yep. in the Californian desert. And um, what I learned about the film is that the shots at night, of which there are many, were shot in the middle of the day. What? So Hoyt Van Hoytmer has pioneered this new way of shooting night scenes using infrared, right? Which just completely blows my mind. So the reason why it's you need light to shoot at night. Yes. And if you are putting a character in somewhere at night, you can light them. But if they're not meant to be lit by anything, it means that your shot is really dark and you cannot capture the yeah. footage because it will just break down. So they used infrared cameras to shoot that scene using infrared, and then they graded it blue Whoa. to look like the night. Because you can't, you would have to basically light not only your main star, Daniel Kaluuya, you would have to light the entire desert around them, or you shoot in a studio. So because they wanted to shoot on location, and they didn't want to light the entire desert behind that person, yeah. they shot it in the middle of the day using infrared, this special what, rig. What, what do you mean by, I know what kind of infrared so, is, but what so does that enable you to do? Is, uh, infrared is a light spectrum that's not visible to human light. And I'll show you an image of what it means. When you shoot infrared, you get a shot that looks like that. It's yes. like this different spectrum. And often um, in black and white cinematography, you'll actually get two different shots of your film. You'll get a regular one in color, and then they'll do an infrared scan of your film to like get the details that don't need color. Yeah. And I just thought it was amazing that I would never have known that like the scenes at night were shot in the middle of the day in high noon. I just thought, what amazing wizardry that they did with those yeah. cameras to capture that. Brilliant. And I just I, actually... I, that, that, sorry, I'm, just, I'm, I'm actually just thinking about it. Oh my God. You would never that's, have that's, known. That's, you would never no, have known. No, absolutely not. That's fantastic. And now I think about but, it because the characters were never lit or if they were, they weren't um, lit directly no. with light. And those light scenes, but they're so legible. You know, yeah. the darkness is legible. It is how you would be if your eyes were there and they had adjusted. Yeah. That's very good trivia. It's really cool. And then you know that it has that really distinct blue grade. Yeah. And typically, like, we, uh, when films are graded, you always use uh, blue to depict darkness because you can't have darkness because no. darkness is, is no, darkness literally nothing. Yeah. Darkness literally not. So you always light your characters with, with blue for darkness. Yeah. And, like, so much of the film is blue. Wow. But, like, that just completely blows my mind for something that's completely seamless. It's a pure magic of cinema. Shot in the day. Yeah, like high, like high, high noon was when it was shot and then you just use infrared scans to make your image and, and put it together to make a film. Fantastic. Mental. Hoyt Van Hoyt. He should man. win an Oscar he's, for he's, that alone. Yeah, he's, he's next level when it, when it comes to it. 
Thank you very much for that trivia. That's all right. I just thought that was really interesting for anyone who's, who's interested. Uh, don't believe what you see on the cameras. It's all a lie. <laughs> Cinema is an illusion, <laughs> yeah. after all, James. Well, there you go. That was, uh, that was some trivia. Maybe we'll be back with some more. Maybe we'll be back with a game for next week. Yeah. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pulp Kitchen. Um, as, as always, don't forget, we try to post our episode every single yes. Wednesday. I will be better. And um, yeah, don't forget to like and subscribe. George, just tell yeah. us what else. You know, guys... We have loads of stuff coming out on the channel. We've just had some film reviews come out. Just had some film Rings reviews uh, and Rings of Power. Like, you know, we see a lot and we talk about a lot, but sometimes that can't always fit within the confines mm. of one episode. So we have a lot of stuff coming out. Check it out. And I just want to remind people to please send in your opinions on the Rings of Power yes. and the House of the Dragon Game of Thrones show, because in a few weeks we're going to do a review of those yeah. first seasons. And I'd love to have as many different opinions, emails, yes. questions as we can. And I think that will really help make a really good episode. So don't forget to send this in. And as with any other questions to hello yes. at popkitchenpodcast.com. And as ever... We, we thank you so much for listening. We yes. love your support. Uh, please remember to like and subscribe. Go and on the follow Instagram. us on Instagram and TikTok and give us the little five stars on Spotify and look out for all the clips we post on Instagram and TikTok as well. We really, really appreciate it. And it makes Tell your difference. friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Yeah. Be like, oh, you like movies? Check out Pop Kitchen. See you next week. Thank you. Jeffrey Wright do in a vocal booth. Well, it, yeah. what does he say in the Batman? Does, does this, this mean anything, mean anything to, you? to you? He'll talk very fast and then he'll and then slow down. Robin Patterson walks really slowly over. It says to the Batman. To the Batman. Is that you? I am God the watcher. Damn it. He's emailed every journalist in the city. <laughs> Lock him down. God, my computer.